I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. It's little things things too you know if I'm bringing on a heel that I that I don't have a good relationship or something I may take a little half step away from them when they walk into the frame that's right um or you know just kind of looking at them in a different and same with a baby face a baby face does this really great baby face promo I'm going to be kind of smiling at them encouraging them like that kind of a situation or if I have to duck out of a of a, of a scene if I'm in the middle between a baby face and a heel, the heel walks on. I feel like some shit's about to go down and I've got to get out of Dodge. I will always exit to the side of the baby face. Um, hmm. So it's stuff like that that you kind of think about um, that I, I think just makes sense. Um, and that stuff that I, I, you know, I think that I can sort of, you know, pass along to other people that that are going to be stepping into that similar role. But it is a lot of stuff like that that you have to think about. And it's little things. And to me, little things make all of the difference in the world. Um, not only for myself, but I think for those characters as well. Hey, everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Two guests this week. I really enjoyed both conversations. Very different, but uh, two awesome guests. First up, Renee Paquette, who uh, was hired a couple months ago by AEW, All Elite Wrestling. She is a host interviewer and producer there now which is really really exciting to see she also hosts her own podcast the sessions with renee paquette and she's doing video content for the cincinnati Bengals. and we have a long conversation just about uh her her new role with aew morphing from the wwe to aew navigating um the world that she lives in her husband is john moxley who is a uh, one of the more famous uh, professional wrestlers out there. Renee also doing work now for the Bengals, which is pretty interesting. So we get a little bit into that. And she's just always a great person to talk to. So transparent, so honest. You can tell why she's be she's been so successful in what she's done. People just like her. They like being around her. She just has a good aura about her. So Renee Paquette to start. Then Grant Wall, the uh, longtime soccer journalist, my colleague at Sports Illustrated for many years. He is in Qatar covering the World Cup. So we talked to him there and he gets into um what his access has been like some of the stories he's been working on being stopped by qatari officials for wearing a pride shirt which uh he'll tell you that story uh as to what happened being detained for a half hour by those officials and what he thinks when it comes to the rest of this world cup which is um which has been absolutely thrilling and now we got some powerhouses coming as we uh, we head to the uh, the quarters, the semis, and the finals. So Renee Paquette to start, Grant Wall to finish, coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, so as I said at the top, Renee Paquette has been on this podcast many times before. Uh, really one of my favorite people in, I mean, it's even weird to say just one of my favorite people in pro wrestling because I just really like her. Uh, I've told the story before about how she was so cool when um, she came into the Sportsnet Studios when I was working there on um, the Daily Show up there. So she really is a genuine person. I'll give some of the things that are going on in her life, but holy shit, it's like 
it's like a freaking the longest bio in history. So I'm going to have to condense it a little bit. In October of this year, AEW, that's All Elite Wrestling, for those who are not familiar with pro wrestling, announced they had hired her as an interviewer and personality. She also has her own very successful podcast, The Sessions with Renee Paquette. She's doing bi-weekly segments for the Cincinnati Bengals now. So if you go on there, any of their um, like social media accounts or their website, you'll see her working with the Bengals, who, quite frankly, I hope get crushed by the Bills as we, as we get to the postseason. Prior to that, she worked for the WWE from 2012 to 2020 in a variety of roles, backstage interviewer, hosted kickoff shows. She had a run as one of the main announcers on Raw, still the only woman ever to do that role full-time, which is absolutely groundbreaking. Hosted a Fox Sports 1 show, WWE Backstage. Her professional name at the time was Renee Young. She now, I believe, goes by Renee Paquette. You probably could call her Renee Good as well. And most importantly, I think her most important role is no doubt being mother to a baby daughter. Uh, maybe 17, 18, 19 months now or something to that effect. And with all that, I am pleased to be joined once again by Renee Paquette. Renee, welcome back to the Sports Media Podcast. First of all, thank you for having me on. Um, secondly, I'm sorry it takes so long to get to me being on the show because you've got to rattle off all these different things I have too many jobs, one might say, um, but they're all really great. And you're right. Having a sweet little baby daughter. Oh, my God. That is just that is my uh, that is my my world. And you're you're. Yeah. And I'm le- looking at your Instagram account. That is a cute kid. So well done on that. Good genetics <laughs> there. All right. Before we start, you and your husband, John, again, for those who do not follow professional wrestling, Renee is married to John Moxley. He's a uh, one of the major figures in AEW. When he was at WWE, he wrestled under the name Dean Ambrose. He was part of a very big faction uh, called The Shield with Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns. This is a very significant figure in professional wrestling. So you two were at the Bengals game yesterday. There's all these videos of you guys doing pregame stuff. Um, John is leading the crowd in like the Who Day chance you're like all decked out in bangles gear so i have known you like as you know as a as a i'm an honorary canadian you're an actual canadian you're very into (laughs) hockey but now it seems like you have adopted the national football league in the last couple weeks so it's not i I would say i'm not gonna say it was not just the last couple weeks it kind of goes all the way back to last season um so no i am not that like born and bred nfl diehard fan But I will say, since having moved to the United States, I've been here for about 10 years. I've navigated around. I started in New York, went out to Las Vegas. Now we're back in Cincinnati. Um, I just never really had my team or like reason to really like sink my teeth into it. And then it was around this time last year, uh, you know, add an extra little month on there. But we moved to Cincinnati and we're like, oh, my God, look at the Bengals go like this team is unbelievable. So it was a perfect time to really kind of jump on their bandwagon and like not just the Bengals bandwagon, but just like the NFL in general, like what it. Yeah, it was it was perfect timing to become a Bengals fan and to to see the city like they rally around the Bengals no matter what but to be able to see them go so deep into the playoffs to make it to the Super Bowl um and now to see this like amazing hot streak that the team is on again right now um yeah it's it's an absolute blast and the fact that I get to work with them now and get to do my my show with them Renee all day is insane to me so yeah we're taping this about uh whatever 15 hours after they beat the Chiefs biggest yes. win of the year 
huge yeah huge huge Uh, it was actually my first game that i got down to um this season i I really technically the first football game that i've like attended attended Hmm. i've hosted some stuff with the bills like many moons ago when i worked for the score um i got to be on the sidelines for a rams game last year to promote wwe backstage um but this was really my first time like going attending getting that like full nfl Bengals americana experience and (laughs) let me tell you it really it's set the bar it was amazing what a game to get to attend yeah no that was a great game yesterday all right one thing about cincinnati before we move on to you professionally so you've lived in new york as you said you lived in vegas you're from the toronto area um Mm -hmm. cincinnati i'm curious just from your perspective because you've (laughs) lived in very um I don't know, like celebrity oriented, right? Sexy kind of cities in Vegas and New York. Toronto has kind of its own vibe uh, as, uh, you know, essentially a media and financial capital of Canada. Cincinnati's different for you, though, right? This is very Midwest to me, Um, a whole, a little more suburban, it feels like. What's, what's that? uh, What's that transition been like? Yeah. Yes and no. Yes and no. Okay. To me, I think Cincinnati is a beautiful bitch. She is lovely. She is very <laughs> sexy. So I actually feel like my experience of living in Las Vegas was much more suburban than what we're doing now. So we uh. actually live like more in the downtown area of Cincinnati. So what I really missed while spending the last six years out in Las Vegas, Vegas is not a walkable city. If you're into gambling, partying, that whole thing, which we're really not, it didn't really scratch that itch for me. So now moving to Cincinnati, we can walk to places. There's really great coffee shops. The food scene here is actually yes, incredible. Very good um, food city. Tons Underrated. of great restaurants. There's there's a certain charm here, and that's what I really missed. Vegas, listen, you did me good for the six years, but there's not really that charm there. Everything's very fabricated. There's no like... I mean, there is a history there, but it's not like the history that you would have in a city like Cincinnati. There's like the very beautiful European architecture. We live in this really cool old house. There's just more um, there's more texture and more layers to this city that I was like desperately craving from coming from a Toronto and a New York that really have Cincinnati obviously doesn't have like that kind of a vibe, but it's more in that direction than Las Vegas was. That's cool. Yeah. And let's be honest, like, uh, you know, married with a little kid. And it's not like Vegas is really like, you no. know, the city you're, I mean, you're not taking your, uh, you're not, I assume you're not taking your daughter on the strip to like Caesar, <laughs> Caesar sports book. So you know what? You'd probably have to at some point because there's not right. much else to do. <laughs> like when I, I, I gave birth to Nora when we were in Vegas and she was born in June and you couldn't take your, I couldn't take her outside until like 10 PM to just like take a walk around the block. Cause it is right. too hot. I yes. can't even imagine like taking your kid to the park and like stay off that metal slide because you're going to be glued to it in a second. Um, so, yeah, it's nice to not have that. The parks are beautiful here. The city does a really great job of like keeping the city really clean. Um, I sound like I work for the tourism yeah. board here. but uh, I do really And now you got it. snow. You'll be able to take, you know, she'll <laughs> see snow, know. right? It's real Thank Christmas. God. Yes, we actually got hit with a good bit of snow a little bit earlier. None of it stayed on the ground. But it's not. It's funny moving here. I was like, oh, my God. Yes. Winter. I was like looking at all these beautiful winter coats to buy. Winter here is not winter in Canada. Um, it's, a, you know, it's a nice little nod to winter, but it's not what I'm used to. By the way, before we move on to AW, can I bet you a cup of coffee that the bills... Uh... Go further than the Bengals. You want to do that, bet with me? Listen, I don't know that I want to get into this uh, this argument, but 
Yeah, yeah, I'll make a friendly little bet with you. Okay. It's coffee. I, it's it's not like uh, you know, we're not betting diamonds <laughs> or anything. Like okay. I can handle that. I can bet a little Tim Hortons roll up the rim uh yeah. deal. Or maybe you here. should get me something from Cincinnati like Skyline Chili. And I I'll can get do you that. something from Toronto. Done. I'll figure Done. out yeah, Done. I'll get you like Love uh, it. yeah. Bouchon Bakery or, or something very cool from here. I'll figure it out. Yes, I can right. easily make you a little care package. Okay, good. That'll be the bet. That's much better than, yes, yeah, sending coffee. All right, good bet. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. All right. So you in the times I talked to you prior to – oh, yeah, Bouchon Bakery is in New York City, as my as my little contacts here are telling me. Thank you. You're correct. <laughs> I'm, way, I'm way off on that. Thank God uh, for the producers that keep their eye on the prize, yeah. right? Bonjour Thank Brioche you. is what I was thinking of. Oh, have you ever been to Bonjour okay. Brioche? I have, yes. Yeah, it's good. Yes. Really good pastries. Yes. All right. Yeah, it would have been much more expensive to go the other way to uh, to send you that. <laughs> hey, right. up the Annie. I know you got deep pockets. Throw up my way. So Let's go. True. Yeah, I know. Tax in two countries, Renee. I mean, it's very <laughs> exciting. Um, so let's talk about AEW. In that, when I talked to you last time, one of the things that you were very clear about was you were not adverse to uh, returning to pro wrestling in um, in some matter. You weren't sure exactly what it would be, but it was a door that you never closed. So now you're back at AEW. Um, you've been on a lot in the last couple of weeks, but before we get into sort of what you're doing at the moment, can you take my audience just through how how did that come about? I understand, obviously, that John works for the company, so your your life is part of AEW, but you know that you're not a package deal. You're you're <laughs> negotiating with them solo. So how did yeah. that job come about? So, you know, I, I feel like in the last two years, so it's been over two years now since I've left WWE. And since I left WWE, you know, I was like planting these little seeds and kind of watering them and seeing what was going to grow, what what need a little love and all that between doing my podcast. Um, you know, I, I feel like I do so many different jobs here and there, and it's kept me very busy and it's been awesome. It's been super fulfilling. But there was still that part of me like I just never felt like I really left the wrestling world like I I, right. I left the world of WWE to a degree. I mean, I'm still friends with tons of people there. I'm still like, you know, I kind of keep my eye on what's going on over there. But I just I there's something about being in the pro wrestling world that I I don't even think I realized how much I was missing it. Um, and, you know, I still got to scratch that itch to a degree by doing my podcast, the sessions, having on wrestlers, getting to tell their stories and getting to feel like I was still getting that like hangout experience of like hanging out backstage with people and just getting to see like what's going on with their week, how their life is going, all that stuff. So to be able to bring that into podcast form was great. But I really miss the TV aspect. I, I loved that I for the last two years, while the world was turned upside down, that I was able to stay busy and stay working and work from home. I have my daughter, like all those great things. But I'm a TV person. That's where I got my start in the business. It is like my true love in, in terms of, of my work. So yeah, the more I kind of was looking at it and just seeing what AEW is doing, what the opportunities were looking like there, realizing that that really was a great landing place for me. Um, you know, my time in WWE, I gained such invaluable um, experience. There's so many different things that I learned from being there that I think really set me up for my career in kind of whatever else was going to happen after uh, WWE. So now to be in AEW and have earned all of this, all this information and experience, 
it's really cool to be working for a company where I can truly utilize all of those skills, whether it's me doing interviews, who knows how shows are going to expand in the next little while. I would love for there to be some more kickoff shows, some stuff that I can truly host. I love doing interviews. I love getting to do that. But I think my bread and butter, my true skill is doing the, you know, hosting different shows and whatnot. So I really hope that that's something that I get to do um, with AEW down the line um, to even being able to like help produce stuff. I don't even think I realized like how much I was able to like really take in working with like the best of the best to now being able to apply that um, in AEW. Um, so yeah, being able to, to put on that producer hat is something that um, was a very nice shiny object to me to be able to to just kind of like flex in that area a little bit too. It's been really cool. So a couple things here. Um, uh, Tony Khan has been on this podcast before. He's a very hands-on executive. Mm-hmm. Would, did he reach out? call you directly does it go through your agent did it go through john how i mean you're you're every wrestling company would be aware that you exist and that you could potentially come in but at a certain point someone has to reach out to somebody can you can you can you share how that happened yeah so it was truly it was more so through john john was my acting agent until my actual agents had to step (laughs) in (laughs) john was like my preliminary agent and then my my real agents uh, stepped in one percent instead of five (laughs) percent yeah exactly um but you know the more him and i have been talking about it because as i was you know, wanting to like resurface, it's like I, I really did want to take the time after having uh, our daughter as well to like spend that. Like I had like a great like year of being home with her, having that like hands on, like figuring out motherhood, all that stuff to once I felt like, all right, the trains in the tracks here, time to like really kind of get back to business and like trying to figure out what was going to be next. And I had been having talks um, with WWE think that was like somewhat common knowledge or leaked in some capacity but i have been talking to wwe Uh, michael cole's a very good friend of mine so him and i have always stayed in close contact um so yeah we started having conversations where i was like hey like maybe i can come in do some panels whatever like just trying to figure out what that would look like and that that would have been a great option um but yeah the more we were talking about it more john and i were talking about it, it was like no it just made more sense for me to be a part of the AEW family. And it's funny because anytime I had been at AEW shows prior, I was just there as like John's wife. I wasn't working, obviously, just kind of like hanging out, soaking it all in. Um, so now it's it's such a different, better feeling for me to be backstage and be useful and be working and like not just be there as like John's wife, so to speak. Um, which is a great thing to be, but I like working. I like feeling useful. I like just, yeah, you know, it's, it's just a different feel for me. Um, so yeah, it was, you know, just realizing like what AEW had to offer and how I was going to be able to fit in there and seeing, you know, the company's been around for what, three years. It's still such a long company. Um, And to think of how much they've grown in those three years from like the moment of them starting to where they're at now, different television deals. I mean, acquiring so much talent from around the world. um, It's it's just such a great spot to have all of these tools. And then, yeah, figuring out what my role is going to be and how I can help and lend some of my knowledge to to, yeah, just to make things as good as they can be. All right, I know you 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 know you got to be a little circumspect here, but we we've sort of talked about these things before. Um as best as you can without being obviously too revelatory. 
like, do they contract you here for like a specific number of events for Dynamite and Rampage? Are you sort of under contract for like a multiple year thing? Like, how does it yeah, work? I've, so that, I've got a multiple yeah. year. So I have a three year deal okay. with AEW. Wow. Yeah, Great. three years um, as talent and then also a three year uh, producer contract. So I have two different contracts. Whoa. Yeah. That. You could tip that age. Tip John Moxley. <laughs> I know, right? That's Thanks, a very John. yeah. That's a great contract. I have to get him a, a nice Christmas present. Yeah, yeah. Get him. Go. Oh, I'll send him some stuff from Toronto for that. That's, he would love job. that bits and bites. That's his jam. He loves the bits. <laughs> Is that and right? Bites. Ooh, yeah. All right. I, yeah. We'll file that away. I like that. Okay. So one of the things that you know very early on, what we've seen from you is, um, you know, you're in the role of. Um, I'm just going to call it backstage interview. Sure. I know it's not like the perfect term there, um, but you know we've seen you like interview Soraya. You've had a couple spots with um, MJF. What it seems like at the moment is you're either um, you'll either do like some um, backstage interviews during a show. You may talk to someone um, as they're coming out to the ring, and then obviously you've had done some tape stuff to obviously mm -hmm. sort of continue with storyline. Do you think in the near term that's what this role will be, or do you think, I shouldn't say do you think, do you anticipate over the next couple weeks and months like this role evolves? And then I'll get into the question I really want to ask you is do you think you'll be part of any storyline? Let's just talk, <laughs> the, let's talk Let's talk about like the, the role itself. How do you see it, let's say, in the next couple of months? Yeah, I would love for that role to evolve. Um, you know, I think the thing with AEW, it's obviously it is a wrestling company and it is a it is a matches heavy show. Um, it's not necessarily yep. as much about the broadcast in the way that WWE was. Um, this is yeah, it's more so about these great matches and showcasing talent in a different way. Um, that being said, though, I mean, yeah, I love like I, I always say I love doing those interviews. I love doing backstage interviews. They're really fun for me, especially when I can work um, with some younger talent that maybe has not been in that kind of situation before. I mean, there's so many people that like that I'm dying to do like proper sit down interviews with. I want to spend like some real time with somebody and like really unpeel some of those layers and figure out who some of these characters are to try to push some of those stories forward, to give some context to fans who some of these uh, some of these wrestlers are, even though, you know, some of these wrestlers are like these like world renowned stars. If you're a casual fan, you might not know who everybody is. And I would love to provide a little bit more context into who they are and, and really get into that stuff. I obviously love doing that uh, with my podcast. So to do that on the television side is something that I would love to do um, as well as, you know, I think just finding other ways to expand my role, even throughout the show. I've got a couple ideas of things that I really, really want to do. And I'm hoping uh, to start to have some of those conversations and maybe look to execute some of those things in the new year, uh, because I, I do think I bring a lot more value than than just doing i could do backstage interviews in my sleep um so yeah. for me to be able to that, I, that's somewhere that i would love to put up put on more of my producer hat and you know help to get somebody else brushed up and into that it, it, to be have their chops up to where they need to be to to do those backstage interviews to the fullest capacity um whether yeah, it, hope, whether it's on I the wrestling side or on the broadcasting side uh, i think just being able to to yeah kind of look at it from a different perspective is something that i, I really enjoy well, you have a ton of you have a you have a massive amount of broadcasting experience. You have a ton of experience on the camera. I know Michael Cole in WWE almost in many ways serves as a broadcasting coach yeah. uh, for yeah. talent. And you could I think you would you could easily do that for AEW. One thing that seems one thing that um, every single 
a wrestler has said about AEW who has spent time in WWE is that everything is far less scripted yeah. and that they, they're allowed to go to um, places organically within um, whatever like that segment is. Is that the case for you when you are interviewing somebody that you're allowed to go somewhere as opposed to what was very clear, at least in WWE, you have to at least either stick to some script or some bullet pointed script. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, honestly, when we get ready to do any interviews, uh, you know, Sanjay Dutt, he's one of the producers there at AEW. Yep. He's kind of overseeing a lot of stuff. Don Callis, also one of those guys uh, that will be overseeing stuff in the back as well. Um, and we'll kind of get together and be like, what is the story here? What are we trying to push forward? Um, kind of what are the circumstances? We, we kind of, you know, string something together in terms of what are the bullet points we're trying to get here. Um, and then it's off to the races. Um, and it's really funny. I find like in my role where I don't mind just asking them, what do you think about this match coming up tonight? As much as I understand you should be asking like more real questions. The truth is that segment is not about me asking a real question. It's setting up the talent to be able to say the promo that they want to say to get themselves over. Um, so that's something that I always kind of keep in mind. I think sometimes as much as you can just kind of lob a question up, that's really what that segment requires. And in, in order for that talent to be able to, to say the piece that they want to say heading into the matchup. Let me give you, can I give you a compliment yeah. here? I mean, everybody loves Hey, comments. please, okay, yeah. One of the thing, yeah. So one of the things that I feel is like incredibly underrated um, for someone in your position, and maybe uh, Gene Okerlund was probably the greatest of all time on sure. this. If you watch you, it's not the questions, and Okerlund was obviously incredible on this, but your ability to have certain facial reactions to what is going on with the answers um, from those who you're asking questions tells a big part of that story in that segment. And so obviously some of that is for lack of a better word, yeah. acting or drama, yeah. but you, you, I, I, I always wanted to ask you this and I should have, you are keenly aware, correct. Of what facial reaction you are giving, because in many ways <laughs> the audience is looking at you for direction yeah. on like what shit is going on yeah. next to you. And I've always thought you are phenomenal with that. Uh, because you're able to convey whether you're disgusted, whether it's this important. is nonsense. I think that stuff yeah, is it's very great. important. I love because that. you're right. It like say somebody's even watching with the volume down. Um, you know, right. you're just kind of casually walking through the room and wanting to see what's going on. I think being able to sort of like mime to a degree of what's going on, whether I like this person, I don't like this person. Um, and it's little things things too you know if i'm bringing on a heel that i that i don't have a good relationship or something i may take a little half step away from them when they walk into the frame um that's right or you know just kind of looking at them in a different way. and the same with the baby face the baby face does this really great baby face promo i'm going to be kind of smiling at them encouraging them like that kind of a situation or if i have to duck out of a of, of a scene if i'm in the middle between a baby face and the heel the heel walks on i feel like some shit's about to go down and i've got to get out of dodge I will always exit to the side of the baby face. Um, so it's stuff like that that you kind of think about um, that I, I think just makes sense. Um, and that stuff that I, I, you know, I think that I can sort of, you know, pass along to other people that that are going to be stepping into that similar role. But it is a lot of stuff like that that you have to think about. And it's little things. And to me, little things make all of the difference in the world, um, not only for myself, but I think for those characters as well. 
I remember when I had you on once, and we were talking about you. You were put in the WWE into me an impossible position, <laughs> where sometimes they would navigate you into storyline. Mm-hmm. Okay, as John Moxley's wife, uh, whatever partner. <laughs> um, but yet you're you're a broadcaster on Raw. So on the one hand, you have to kind of play it for the audience, where you're broadcasting the match between these two people. On the other hand, sometimes they're just floating out, like within the commentary. Oh. <laughs> How can you how can you say this, Renee? Because you are married to John Moxley. So I wanted to pull my hair imagine, out. It was horrible. Yeah, it's impossible. It's impossible. Yeah. You can't you can't win. The WWE universe is going to kill you either yes. way because you're you're either not satisfying them for being a good character yes. in storyline with John, or they're killing you because hey, why aren't you saying something? You're literally married to this person. I know. So my thought, if I was like your agent, would be like. Do not get involved. Do not go down this road in AEW because it is an impossible yeah. road for you. That said, they could also do some amazing, funny things in storyline. But have you, is this something you and John have discussed? Is this something you and Tony have discussed? Because I remember when I talked to you about this, I felt for you because you there was a it was a no-win situation for you. There was no way you could do anything on air that would please the majority well, of the Well, it audience. was also like it was all like extra difficult because the direction would be one day you are just a broadcaster, you are calling this down the middle, we're calling it even. And then on commentary being fed lines about well, what you guys do at home. Did you guys talk about this stuff at home? Like asking these questions right. about my husband. So you're, yeah, you're right. You're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Um, but I think in the terms of AEW, I've not done anything on camera with John at all um, since joining, you know, whether I'm interviewing Eddie Kingston and him and I are giving a nod that obviously Eddie Kingston and John are very close. Um, he will make mention of, you know, my relationship with John in that capacity, but it's, we've definitely not had the conversation. Like John and I have not spoken about it. Tony and I have not spoken about it, but I feel like, and I'm sure John would agree to this. His character is so lone wolf does his own thing. Correct. Well, you know, walks to the beat of his own drum. I think me adding a layer to that is not something that he needs. I think People know we're married. They get that. But I don't think that's something that we need to portray on screen. I think if there is an instance where it does happen, you know, keep it special and hold on to that. Um, But I don't think I don't think that it's something that we really need. I mean, that doesn't mean I can't interview him or, you know, talk to him about his segments and whatnot. But I think in terms of me, like actually going out there and doing something and getting involved, I just don't see that really being a thing, especially with like the style that John wrestles probably a lot of room for me to go out there and like what am i gonna add to that john's such a great performer with everything that he does adding me in there just kind of like muddies that storyline i think i he's so good at what he does he doesn't need my ass out there with him doing anything (laughs) (laughs) just i mean think about it like they're playing wild thing right he's coming in from the audience okay (laughs) like he's he's getting into the mood and he's uh, his entrances are amazing Mm -hmm. still after all these years and then he stops and gives you and Nora a kiss. <laughs> okay. Like it literally that, like, destroys yeah, everything. But we it, don't need it. It destroys everything about the moment Agreed. for me if I'm suspending Agreed. reality about People John Moxley. I want to watch right? John be this hard hitting, rough around the edges exactly. dude. You don't need right. me and Nora out there softening right. that image of him. Right. We don't need that. 
Right. John's feeding Nora with a bottle and he's no hanging out with that. you like with coffee. And then he goes in to wrestle Daniel. No one needs Like it, it makes no it sense. Yeah, it I'm does with you. not. All right. Thank you. All right. Tony, if you're listening, <laughs> please. I don't, don't. I know that you, you might get a pop once. Don't do don't it for go, the don't pop. For we that. don't need to do it for the pop. Don't. Right. Don't no. do it for the pop. All right. Listen, I know you may have to kayfabe me on this and I respect that. There are performers who live this the, their characters year round. Um, I do feel like John, at least when he's probably with you, does not, which is very good to hear. <laughs> uh, that is amazing discipline to me. Um, the person right now who has shown incredible discipline in AEW for this is uh, is MJF, Maxwell Jacob Friedman. You have talked to him on air. I feel like you've even called him a piece of shit uh, yeah, on air. That's I, know, true. I know Shivani did, and I think you did. That's which I true. Love. He is a piece um, of shit. Yeah. Have you ever, see, see, you're going to kayfabe me here. Have you ever had a conversation with Max, like a real conversation with Max? No, not I have not. Um, no, okay. I've not. I All mean, right. to be completely honest, um, no, I mean, you know, anytime I sort of pass him backstage, I mean, I can observe him from a distance and I can see the way he he moves and operates and all that. But um, I've I've really not had many conversations with him at length. Yeah. All right, good. Keep that tension up. I feel like that'll be helpful to you as, a, <laughs> uh, as an interview. All right. I want to ask you, I'm going to get to the podcast in a second, but I want to uh, just, I, whenever I have you on, I have to talk about Paul Heyman. <laughs> you, you once, both you came on once my podcast together, which was awesome. All right. Once again, I know he's in the, he's That's in the other right. company, but can you believe, can you believe this guy? He has a two year run with Roman. Incredible. Like, I mean, the, this, that storyline has mm -hmm. been fantastic. He has been getting incredible prominence. He still has his relationship with Brock Lesnar. That dude, his as genius as a performer as he is, and he really is a genius, as you know on camera. His genius is to surround himself with like the best people yeah. in the business. How does yeah. one do that? Like that, that, like you know, what I'm saying like there have been other managers, even like some of the greatest managers of all time. They have not always had the best of the best. You know what I mean? Sometimes they just they're who they've been partnered with. It hasn't been great. Not Heyman. Heyman is always with like whoever Michael well, Jordan. Heyman or like Leo Messias. To How does he degree, do it? Yes, but there have been, and I think they get brushed under the rug, but there have been moments where Heyman has managed someone and it has not been what you think that it's going to be. Really? Who do you remind <laughs> me? Maybe I forgot. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> well, you know, I think when he came out with, uh, with Curtis Axel, for example, like that, oh, yeah. that was okay. a very a short lived yeah. relationship. Um, and you know, no shade to either of them. I am a huge Curtis Axel fan. Um, but uh, Joe Hennig, but no, I just like that wasn't that was an example of it not working. But I mean, right. listen, you look okay. at Neiman and you do, you look at the roster of people that he's worked with, and he is he surrounds himself with the best of the best. He is he is tippy top talent. Um, but yeah, you, you throw a lot of stuff against the wall. I mean, he's got this like incredibly long standing relationship with Brock Lesnar. That's something you always got to keep that thread alive. Brock is Brock, of course. However, I will say when we finally heard Brock on the mic, it was like, oh. Wait, what? Incredible. <laughs> I, know. I know. Where is that? Yeah, exactly. I mean, then, yeah, I mean, Paul with, with Roman. Roman's also another person. He does not need to have Paul Heyman there on the mic, but it's that added layer where Heyman can tell, still tell those stories with his facial reactions, with his body language, all of those great things that make Paul Heyman uh, so excellent at what he does. Um, but yeah, I mean, Paul just has such an eye for talent. That's always kind of been his thing you know and i think for somebody like him who's been around the business for so long he has all of the credibility in the world anybody would be a fool to not want to be paired up with paul 
Um, so yeah, I think he, he gets to kind of like pick and choose and he's definitely sitting, uh, you know, in a, in a really sweet spot right now with that golden ticket between Roman Reigns and, and Brock Lesnar and looking at everything that the bloodline is doing right now. And also while we're talking about it, a yep. quick little nod to Sami Zayn, who, um, I, your Canadian, I, yes, your fellow oh my Canadian, God, this guy is like, I have loved Sammy for quite some time. He is a good friend of mine, uh, being able to like watch you know, when he started at NXT coming in, what Sami Zayn going to do? Who's he going to be? How much of like, you know, what wrestling do we get to see all those great things, but getting to know Sami Zayn as a, as a human being, and now getting to see that make its way on camera for fans to see and to love and to see how well it works is amazing. It's really one of those things of like that preparation and timing has just worked out so great for him to just add that extra layer onto everything going on with the bloodline to just kind of lighten it up a little bit, yet still adding an extra layer of tension. It's it's fantastic. Unbelievable. He's honestly, he's the most Roman is obviously the, you know, probably the biggest star in that company mm-hmm. here, Brock. But Sami Zayn is yes. the most over person right now in WWE. Love to it's see incredible. It. We love to see it. <laughs> yeah, he's He's been phenomenal, and uh, I'm happy for the guy because he he's is. a great performer, and it's so cool to see uh, people recognizing this. All right, let's move on to your podcast. The uh, the sessions has been going on now since November of 2020. Crazy to think about, right? You're 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 Crazy. two years already on this. Um, I think you must be over. You must be. I'm around over that because we do two episodes. We do two episodes. You're over hundred. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we, there you we go. Doubled down. Um, some of the people you've had on Charles Barkley. CM Punk, Ray Ripley, Rhea Ripley, I should say, Brian Danielson. Um, I've again, this will be another compliment for you. One of the reasons I think this podcast has really worked and you've had success is I think people just really like spending time with you. You admit you even with when my brief interaction with you, you like admit positive energy. You generally like people. You're very interested in people and what they have to say. I listened this week to you and Stokely mm-hmm. Hathaway. Uh, and learned so much about him. I had no idea about like uh, his backstory. The guy uh, has a grad degree. He's uh, he's visiting um, Africa. Uh, he's he's going to museums mm-hmm. in certain cities, seeing African American exhibits. He's reading uh, rereading the autobiography of Malcolm X. It's just like a really interesting interview, like uh, uh, like yeah. a real human being, uh, and not just sort of like talking to the to the character. So, what have you found, Renee? Now that you're over. Um, a hundred episodes for sure. Like what works for your podcast? What do you think? I think works what works is me not thinking about it. Um, and I don't mean that in the sense of like, I'm not putting in any effort. I am. I just don't really overthink it. And to me, it is just trying to maintain having that organic relationship, organic conversations, and just keeping things like casual and cool. Because I think that's what makes people want to gravitate towards being a guest on the show. I mean, Stokely's a great example for that. Um, and I, it means so much to me that, you know, somebody like him or, you know, I could rattle off a couple other names of, of different talent that want to come on and tell these stories about themselves that are very vulnerable, very personal, um, and not even being aware of like what that reaction is going to be from the world hearing this news about them. I mean, Stokely, um, you know, wanted he, he had admitted himself into a, a mental uh, hospital at one point. And that yeah. was something, you know, when he came to me and said that he wanted to do the podcast, he had been thinking about it. He had, you know, he had dropped that to me 
couple of months ago. And I was like, yeah, dude, whenever you want, you let me know when you're ready and we can do it how you want, when you want, we'll tell your story. Um, so it means, it just means a lot to me that people trust me to have those conversations with them and to give them that platform. And I, I think it's really cool that people want to talk about that stuff. Cause it just, it helps people so, so much. Um, I think to see people on television, you see these guys that are, you know, whether they're wildly entertaining or these like super tough guys that are being vulnerable and talking about like real life stuff. Um, you know, my husband's another great example for that too. And when, when we talked about uh, yep. him going into rehab um, and just seeing how many people are affected by that and touched by that. So for me, I think it's just really important to have those conversations. Um, granted, not every episode is dealing with heavy subjects like that. Sometimes we are just talking about, you know, people's different interests, who, you know, what shows you're into, what background you have. Like, yeah, I mean, Stokely, um, yeah, having a degree. There's so many people. I just find people interesting. And I think that's really, I don't know if that's like what a success is, but I think it's just like remaining curious about who people are. And uh, yeah, just talking to people. I think I just like to talk a lot. <laughs> Do you do you do you book yourself? I or do generally you have a do the booking myself. Um, every now and then we'll have something else come up, um, but I would say like you know eighty percent of the time it's it's me booking the show. The the um I give uh, Colin Coward a lot of credit and uh, Logan Logan mm -hmm. Swain. Mm -hmm. Am I pronouncing his name right? They uh they like have identified um different areas for their podcast network um with some interesting talent. And so for, cause you're part of that volume network. Do you, are, are you're not required though, to keep it to pro wrestling, right? You in theory can no. do go wherever you want. Now that's the really great thing about the volume about Colin about Logan is those guys are like, yeah, of course they know wrestling's kind of like the bread and butter. That's where numbers are going to be coming in from. But they're like, Hey, if there's someone you want to talk to in different conversations you want to have, like, go for it. They totally encourage that, like stepping outside the box. Um, and it's, it's just, it's really nice to have that backing. Cause yeah, sometimes it's like, it's an interview that I would love to have, not sure how it's going to do numbers wise because people just expect wrestling stuff. And if it's not that they, they don't want to have those conversations or they don't want to hear those conversations. Uh, but, I mean, it's, it's cool. Um, I just had on um, this Canadian Olympic pole vaulter, Alicia Newman. Yeah. Alyssa, Alicia Newman. Yeah. Like, I saw that. I had never yeah. met her. Yeah. I honestly didn't know that much about her. And sometimes those end up being some of my favorite episodes. I'm just like hanging out with someone learning about them. And she was, you know, she was very great in terms of like just having a cool conversation and like talking about stuff that I wasn't expecting. Um, so it's, it, it's nice. I mean, whether it's a different athlete, I'm, you know, later today, I'm interviewing Brian Quinn Q from uh, impractical jokers. Um, I've got Margot Price yeah. coming up. She's like this amazing country singer. Like she's someone that I'm just like dying to have a great conversation with. Um, so yeah, I love that I can step outside the box and, and have some of these other conversations and, and everyone at the volume is, is definitely all for that. You, um, you know, when I was sort of thinking like who from AEW have you not had on who could be yet Darby mm -hmm. Allen on not too long ago. I haven't heard that, but I will. I'm sure yeah, that was really, cool really interesting. Um, you have not had no. Sting on, correct? You'd think that 
Yeah, you would think that that would be like uh, <laughs> I know. I've so. not had Sting on. I know he's been interviewed a million times, but I know. it's still Dang. Sting. You know? No, I want to get Sting. I really want to have Jamie Hayter on the show. She's someone who just like, there's yeah, something so cool about her. Um, and it's funny, I think with Jamie, like watching her and seeing this like organic rise of Jamie Hayter, I really feel like it's just a tip of the iceberg of what we're going to see from her. She just has this really cool star quality about her while also just being able to like beat the living shit out of people in the ring. So she is someone that I would love to have on. Um, God, who else? I would actually like to have Eddie Kingston back on because when I had him on the first time, yeah, I think he he's, 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 he's always so great. Yeah. And when I had him on the first time, I didn't know him all that well. Now having like a much different relationship with him, I would, I would love to have him back. I would actually love to have Tony back on the show as well. Have Tony Khan back on now that, now that I work for him, kind of pick his brain on a different level. Um, but yeah, yeah I mean, you know, we're, we're always getting different people in and in new talent. I've not had Samoa Joe on the podcast. Um, I love me oh, some Samoa Joe. So he's somebody that I would love to have too. Uh, we, we got a deep roster. There's, there's plenty of people to get to have on and, um yeah even people yeah. that that we don't know as much about like lee moriarty i would love to have him on there's yeah a deep 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 list well, <laughs> i know right so honestly, honestly. Uh, and then as i mean don't yes. john and eddie know oh, each yeah. other for like 15 years i mean yeah no. that should not be a uh, that should be not no definitely not there. all right let me finish up with this uh because you know you you are someone who obviously i think uh stays in touch with people. You have uh, deep friendships and roots with the WWE people. Um, are, is it when you now work for the other company, um, do those relationships change at all? Or is it sort of everybody part of the same sort of universe? So if you need to call, I don't know, like, I feel, feel like you were pretty yeah, tight with Bailey. Oh, I right? love me some Bailey. Or no, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, uh, well, you know, the, uh, um, mm-hmm. The Bellas. I mean, whatever. You know, you know a ton of those people there. So, are you still like? Can you still have like? Does is it does it become weird at all because you're now on the other company, or is everybody sort of part of the same now, universe and business is business? I'm just curious. Like, how is that? Like, you know, you still text actually? Yeah, Seth I was just texting like with him about his daughter's or, birthday. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, oh, wrestling go. is Perfect. wrestling. I think no matter what, everyone is rooting for everybody else. Everyone wants all of the wrestling to be great. Um, I don't think that there, if there are some of those like deep rooted rivalries of people that are mad somebody works for another company or something, it's not something I see a lot of. I think, I think we all want to see everyone be successful, not to be like so like, you know. <laughs> Yay, root like rah rah for everybody. But yeah, I, I do think like yeah, I mean, you spent eight years working with everybody, and we all know the ups and the downs that happen yeah. throughout the business. We understand what some of the frustrations um, any of us are feeling at at one point or another. Um, so I think we're all just happy to see everyone go on and, and find success and happiness wherever that may be. I gotta be honest, Becky Lynch seems best. like one of the coolest. She's amazing. Yeah, no, Becky yeah. Becky and Seth are both uh, grade A top-notch human beings. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a good couple. Do they uh I think I feel like with the I had Rollins on once. Yeah. Does he still own yeah. that coffee yeah. shop in uh, Iowa or wherever? Three, three five, I love two, that. that something like that. Something like that. You gotta res- honestly, you gotta have a lot of love for anybody who owns a coffee shop. It's a great that, that, it that is tells a great coffee shop. Person. I will say we got to go one time when we were in Davenport. Um, we popped in there. I don't think it had been open for very long, but the coffee was great. There was like juice that was really good. They had a toast bar. 
it was really it's a it's a really nice spot and then his wrestling gyms attached to it it's at the back of that so it's all one-stop shop yeah love it is there anything else you want to uh is there anything else you need to promote? I don't you think add so. We get out of here. <laughs> okay. All right. I can't wait for my package. <laughs> it's not happening. No way. Send me some Tim's. Send oh, it my way so and some bits and bites. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No chance of that, by the way. Bills in the Super Bowl. All right. Let's give the bio again. Renee Paquette uh, is, um, as she as she revealed here, contracted for for quite a while with all elite wrestling. Yes. Good job, Tony Khan. That's a damn good hire by you. Finally, good job. I'm glad. I'm, you know, I'm how happy I am to see you back in this this world. Um, her podcast is the Sessions with Renee Paquette. You can get that on you know Apple, Stitcher, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Check that out. Actually, it's not just like some straight wrestling podcast. You know, Re- Renee's not. Oh going God, through every no. Uh uh-uh. uh <laughs> Breaking no, no, it down. No, no. Yeah, very different podcast uh, here. Um, and again, as she said during this podcast, doing a little bit with the Cincinnati Bengals. As well, who in all seriousness are an absolute beast. threat to get to the Super Joe Bowl. Joe Burrow is a beast. Yeah, that is a good looking. It's a good looking team, and of course, uh, Renee continues on uh, being a mom to young Nora. Renee, good luck with all this because, like as you know, the entire all of North America is basically <laughs> sick. Listen, so. I am. Again, I'm hanging on by a thread. I'm taking my zinc gummies. My daughter is sick right now, so it's it's only a yeah. matter of time until I'm begging for mercy. But um. Yeah, hopefully I can ride it out. Let me just tell you my one like story about my daughter. So my wife had gone um, to New York for the weekend, and she, she doesn't get as much anymore. But when my daughter was young, she got nosebleeds, right? And you know, like the first couple, you're like really like, oh my god, what's going on? And then you realize it's not so uncommon and pretty normal. But there was one time when I was on my own, and I took her to ballet. Uh, and she was a four-year-old. She had her like her like leotard and stuff, and she started gushering. It was like Reservoir Dogs, and like I I, I literally my heart was racing like faster than it ever had been. And thank God in that room there were moms who had far more experience than I did who were like chill out, like this is normal. We'll get her tissue and stuff like that. And she was fine. It's man, horrifying. You know this. You you sort of learn about your life when you like. Once it's, you have kids, like you I learn know, that, like it's not. It's about funny. You the other night, again. I was like, it was like late at night. I'm like looking at dumb stuff on my phone, and then I stumble across this, across this thing called like the the life vac. If you're a kid or if anyone's choking, and I was like, oh my god, order this to my house immediately. I was like watching all these like crazy videos exactly. on like kids choking and this thing saving them. Which like watch even watching a video, yep. I can't even think about it. Like I cannot fathom. Yeah. I used to, I used to, I'm sure you do this too. Like late at night, yes. I would just walk over to the crib yes. and just listen to breathing. Cause you're like, if you don't hear it for a oh little bit, God. you're like, holy shit, is something going on? And you know, they're all, they're almost, they're obviously always fine. I but like, know. I, yeah, I would like, I'd put my ear to Even the crib with, like, and I'm like, Nora am I not hearing this now, right? It was, she have a fever. Where's her fever at? Oh my God. Yeah. What if she's too hot? We need to change her pajamas. We need to do this. Like I'm like glued to the baby monitor watching her. Luckily, like the camera on, it's really good. So I can like see her breathing. I can hear every exactly. little thing. Uh, but right. I know you become like a little bit crazy. I feel like I wasn't that bad before. And you now did. I think because so many people are getting sick and I keep hearing all these crazy stories. So yeah, I'm definitely becoming that like hypochondriac mom. But it's I like that for it's John too. I think good, it's like yeah. the mom and me that I'm like, everyone must be <laughs> safe. Everyone's healthy. Everyone's good. Like, yeah, I've definitely like really honed in on that. <laughs> yeah. And you know, the baby's like, what are you John's doing? John's like, get away sleep. from me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
All right, Renee Paquette, everyone. Follow her on all her different platforms. Uh, there's nobody better. Renee, thank you as always for coming on today in the Sports Media Podcast. Thank you so much for having me again. All right. I am pleased to be joined now by Grant Wall, who is in Qatar. You know, I th- Grant, once upon a time, would have been the only guest we've ever had from Qatar, but Tom Rinaldi last week has jumped Grant, and so now it's my uh, it's my second person from Qatar. Follow all of Grant's excellent work on grantwall.com. Follow him on Twitter. You know, it goes without saying. Obviously, I know Grant for a long time. We worked together at Sports Illustrated. He's one of the foremost soccer journalists on the planet, and uh, very good of him to jump on this podcast for a couple minutes uh, as it is late. Uh, Doha time for him and afternoon for us here in Toronto. Grant, welcome back to the Sports Media Podcast. Thanks for having me. Of course. All right. So we're um, we're into the uh, knockout stages. Literally uh, a couple minutes ago, just before we started taping, Croatia gets through Japan. So that should just give the audience a sense of where we are in real time as I'm taping this with Grant. Um Grant, I'm interested. I, you know, I, I, you could probably do an hour on your experiences in Qatar. So I'll try to specify it or be specific a little bit more. How have you found the experience to be access-wise as a Western journalist covering this tournament? I mean, from an access perspective, this has been like previous World Cups I've covered. Um, you know what you're going to get uh, from FIFA and usually the national federations like the U.S. And it's. You can usually, you're not going to get many one-on-ones in terms of interviews just because that's really hard to do. It's not impossible. And I will give U.S. Soccer some credit. Uh, I got one-on-one interviews the night before two games with the U.S. Uh, Zoom interviews with Walker Zimmerman the night before the first game and Tim Ream the night before the game against the Netherlands where the U.S. went out. And... I really appreciate that because they're not, U.S. Soccer doesn't have to do that. And I like, on my site, I have a magazine-style story that goes up by 9 a.m. Eastern, the day after every U.S. game. And I try and write those like old-fashioned Sports Illustrated print magazine stories off big games where you can say to your readers, you're going to get something in this story that you won't see elsewhere. And often the easiest way to do that is by getting a one-on-one interview, not always easy to come by, and got really good stuff from Tim Ream and, and Walker Zimmerman. So uh, aside from that, with U.S. soccer, you would have basically three off days between games at this World Cup. The day after the game, there wasn't access, which is expected the day after a game. Then the next day the team training site, there would be a press conference, formal podium press conference. And then the day before a game, there would be a formal press conference at the media center with the U.S. coach, Greg Berhalter, and the captain, Tyler Adams. After the games, there's always what we call a mix zone where players come through and it's sort of a scrum for all the media that's there to ask questions and get quotes. There's also a press conference where the coach goes. And so usually 
I would go to the mix zone and talk to players and I would get a recording later of the press conference that Greg Berhalter did. It's that, that part's not ideal. It used to be that you could actually, in my position, go to both and I could ask a question at the press conference, but now you, you really do almost always have to choose, am I going to go to the mix zone or the press conference? How hard is it, um, how hard is it to break news at the World Cup? given um, the amount of competition that's there. And then also given like you just said, sort of the, the fact that access is, is what it is. It's not as, it's not as, it's not as broad access. Let's say if you were in Kansas city or something like that, covering the U S team. I, I think it's really hard to break news at a world cup. Uh, there's not that much news to break. And it's also just difficult because um, the teams are, more or less under lockdown, not totally, but to a large extent. Yeah. And there's so much focus on the games themselves. I've always told TV producers who cover the World Cup, if you're hiring me to be an insider and are assuming I'm going to break news or a lot of it during the tournament, that's probably not going to happen, you know? And you can have a great insider reporter, but there's not a lot of news. I mean, like, even the biggest... In insider reporters in the soccer world now like Fabrizio Romano like he's not even at the World Cup he's not breaking news right now uh, he's a club news guy and so what tends to be news at the World Cup is Neymar is injured Neymar won't play tomorrow Neymar will play tomorrow and so I don't think it's a coincidence that Fox never really hired anyone to replace me as a so-called insider for the World Cup because there's just not much to be done there, I mean it seems to me you know, there'll be another time to get into sort of Fox's coverage. I probably should just do a specific podcast on that. But really, at the end, Grant, like, isn't Fox like really what they have is an access reporter? Isn't that ultimately in the end like Jenny? What Jenny Taft can get is access to players and coaches that someone like in your position, just covering it from the outside, cannot. Right? She's going to get players after the game. She's going to get. um I would assume Burhalter maybe to do a sit down or Tom Rinaldi can get Burhalter to do a sit down. I mean, yeah, and on top of obviously the billions that they're paying to broadcast the games, like that's the inside. That's, I'm not even, you're right. It's not a classic insider and there's no news breaking, but that's what Fox now has. Like the, if there is an advantage for them, they, they, the, the, the U S team is going to give them more time than they're going to give anybody else. Yeah, and U.S. soccer is aware that Fox is the rights holder, as is Telemundo in the U.S. I would use the word embedded to describe like Jenny Taft's situation with the U.S. team. And I think Jenny does a really good job. Um, that said, I don't think there really was breaking news coming out of the U.S. team during this. Because no. like even like the question. Maybe of, Raina, like could, should Raina be playing or not? You know, that kind well, of stuff. We, yeah, like, but like we never did get any so, sort of insider answers about what the real story w was with Gio Reyna. Was he actually not fit or not? And if he wasn't fit, why would you say he is fit? It, it's just yeah. a coach's decision. We never got clarity on that. And I'll, I'll, we'll wait and see in the next days and weeks ahead. You know, the, the big news was like Christian Pulisic being cleared to play and U.S. soccer put that out in a Twitter post. So, I mean, like they made their own news to an extent there. So, yeah, it's just news breaking doesn't really happen here. And, and, and yet I, I do think, you know, U.S. soccer actually, not just with Fox, would provide like Yunus Musa went on the Today Show uh, the day after the win against Iran. Um, 
they do they do some one-on-one stuff for big mainstream media outlets just because there's so much attention before we get into some more of the journalistic stuff um if i'm a fan of the united states uh, men's national team like should i feel good about the fact that they got out of the group stage or should i feel a little disappointed that they did not um proceed further than they did in the tournament i mean in the end they were who we thought they were like most of us including me had them getting out of the group going to the round of 16 playing holland losing to the netherlands and going home and that's what happened now always 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 there's so many wrinkles in the story along the way right that make things more complicated and so only getting a point in that opening game against Wales complicated things a lot because the U.S. could have gotten three points from that game. And if they had, I think it would have been less stressful and there would have been more players rotating in and the team wouldn't have been as exhausted as it looked for the game against the Netherlands. But, um, you know, you look at, you know, Germany failed to get out of the group stage. So did Mexico. So did Belgium. There's some, you know, talented teams that didn't get out. And so this U.S. team, um, they deserve credit for, I think, managing their group stage games well. It was very, you know, tight, tight margins, got out of the group. And, you know, if you win that opening game against Wales, you put yourself in a better position to win the group. And I don't think we talk about how imp- enough about how important it is to win yeah. the group. Because if you want to win the World Cup and go deeper in the tournament... If you win the group, you face a second-place team. Do you think, uh, just a, just a, let's, let's just sort of uh, key on that, how do you think the U.S. would have matched up against Senegal in an alternative universe if they win the group? I think this Senegal team, which I respect a ton, was missing some of its best players, like Sadio Mane. Um, Idrissa Gay missed the round of 16 game on yellow card suspension. So do I think this U.S. team could have beaten Senegal? Yes, I do. And then you're finding yourself in a quarterfinal, and then it gets really hard. But but you're there. You know, but you're in the quarters. I mean, who knows, right? Yeah. And, and there are fine margins. Like the U.S. certainly had its moments against the Netherlands. But, you know, when you give up, scoring chances where three Dutch players are unmarked in the box at this level, that's not going to work for you. And so the U S could have more possession. They could create just as many chances as the Dutch, but the U S chances weren't as good as the Dutch as as the Dutch were because they weren't wide open in the box. The U S defense had been very good the entire tournament until the last game. Yeah. You can read this on grantwall.com. He'll recount the story a little bit here, but you know, one of the things Grant heading into the um, into this tournament was obviously um, all the stories outside of the pitch. Whether and you did a lot of reporting prior to this: uh, Qatar and migrant workers, women's rights in Qatar, LGBTQ rights in Qatar, maybe perhaps the lack of rights in Qatar. This is all stuff that we're not seeing on Fox uh, as they uh, head on Qatar Airlines for you know drinks and uh, barbecue. Um, you were detained by, uh, let me make sure I have this right, either Qatari security or uh, stadium security prior to walking into one of these games because you had a pride shirt on. I wonder if you can uh, recount that story for my audience and then sort of what the resolution was on that. So for the first U.S. game against Wales, I wore a T-shirt with a soccer ball on it surrounded by a rainbow 
pretty simple, straightforward. Um, wasn't planning to even post pictures of it on my socials. Just a sort of silent show of support for the LGBTQ community um, everywhere, but including in Qatar, where it's illegal to be gay. They criminalize being gay. Um, and so before the tournament started, I'd even written about this. I had asked FIFA and I had asked U.S. soccer, what if visitors want to wear rainbows or have rainbow flags at this World Cup? Would that be an issue? And both FIFA and U.S. soccer said, we're told it will be no problem. They were very straight about that. Now, the passive verb, <laughs> we're told, you know, the, the implication being the Qataris told them this. Right. And it was very clear that FIFA and U.S. soccer on this topic should not be trusted based on what's happened to me, but also to a lot of other people in stadiums here, where I, I honestly, based on what FIFA and U.S. soccer had told me, was surprised that I wasn't let in when I got to the stadium that night. And the security guards, there are about six, eight of them, uh, stood around me and said, you have to take off your shirt to enter the stadium, like multiple times. And I said no. And then I did get off a tweet uh, at that point, because I was being detained, I did take a picture of myself and post a tweet with what was going on and what the security guards were telling me. And I'm glad I did because that sprung FIFA into action, into crisis mode, and they started sending their people over to the stadium to get it resolved. And I, it, it got resolved in about half an hour. It could have been hours and hours. And I might have missed the U.S. game if I hadn't tweeted but when I took the picture of myself for the tweet, the guard thought I was taking a picture of him and they really don't like that. And so he forcibly ripped my phone out of my hands. I resisted very briefly. I was like, you know what? This like, physical resistance ain't worth it. So he takes my phone, which he kept for half an hour. And I kept saying like, I please give me my phone back. There's no reason for you to have my phone. And ended up sitting on a folding chair as I was just sort of waiting because for a while it was just waiting. Uh, my friend Andy Das from the New York Times walks by and I fill him in a little bit because it's right at the entrance, right at the media entrance to the stadium. So Andy Das walks by, I fill him in. He takes a picture of me and, and at that point, they see him take a picture of me and they detain Andy Das from the New York Times. And we're saying to these guys, you're really digging a hole for yourself here. This is not going to be good for you. And so I sit, I'm sitting on the folding chair and then one guard in particular stands up above me and berates me and says, you have to take the shirt off, make this easy, take your shirt off. And I'm like, no, I'm not. And then they make me stand up and turn around and face a closed circuit television camera above us where presumably someone on the other end is <laughs> looking at me and rendering some sort of judgment. And then probably about 10 minutes later, after about 25 to 30 minutes of all this, 
a commander of security comes and says to me, you can, you can enter, you can keep your shirt on. We apologize. Hmm. And at that, he tries to act like the guards there. It was a, an English miscommunication problem. And I was like, no, these guys speak good English. And then one of the guards who had detained me told me, oh, we were just wanting to protect you from people inside the stadium who, who will attack you if you wear this shirt, which one is bunk because that's, that wasn't the case. And two is a pretty sad commentary on the people who live in Qatar and who did not attack me. And FIFA ended up sending their top media person over who was not originally at the stadium. He came to solve this and they spent time with me. Um, and we had to enlist some security as well because the tweet that I posted ended up getting like ridiculous numbers of engagement. And so I started getting, and, and I'm still getting by the way, like more than two weeks later, um, all sorts of nastiness on Twitter and wow. Instagram. So we engaged security and I haven't had any issues since, but um, I mean, the points I would make are one, more annoying than anything for me. Like I wasn't in any danger and it wasn't that bad. Um, but it does make me think about like, if you're gay in Qatar, right. what's your life like when the world isn't focusing its attention on your country when it's hosting the World Cup and it's Not illegal that, in your country? You're a, you're a credentialed media reporter from the United States. Matt, right. you know, in some ways, even a security guard has to know that you're credentialed. Like, you know, you're like, you're, this is an issue potentially for me if I'm thinking as a security guard. So what if you're not credentialed, right? You're just a fan who walking into that stadium. That's what you really think about. Right. And, you know, I've had you know, bad faith people online say, well, you went to that country. That's their, you should respect their laws. And I'm like, I respect their drinking laws, but this is not a, this is not politics. This is not laws. This is human rights. They have criminalized being gay right. in Qatar. And no, I'm not going to respect that. Also, uh, <laughs> you know, if that's the case, then FIFA has to come from the beginning and sort of say that, you know, this is not a global celebration. We don't, you know, we're not open to, to all different people of the world. You know what I'm saying? Like you can't, yeah. you can't. If, you, if you're FIFA, you can't have it both ways. Can't claim that that this is a celebration, and that you support uh, all different people of races and sexualities and stuff, and then say, "Oh, well, you're in this country. You got to follow their rules." Well, and clearly, you FIFA can't have it both isn't. Ways. Yeah, and FIFA isn't in control of this tournament. There's so many Correct. examples now. Whether it's well, FIFA saying you'll the, be but, okay wearing a rainbow, but you won't be, right. they or made like. The, they, yeah, they made the choice oh. to place it there, as corrupt oh, as yeah. it is. You know what I'm saying? You do have to, at, at, I mean, as much as I loathe that organization, like at a base level, like if you're the organizer of it or if you put, placed it there, you know, you do have some responsibility for the people who then come. Well, um, and, and if FIFA, you had 12 years to get ready for course. this tournament, including preparing security to follow what supposedly are FIFA's policies but aren't being followed. And it reminds me a little bit of what I've always been told about what it's like negotiating things in, in the Middle East because um, what gets said privately is not what 
gets said publicly or what happens publicly. And so we've had so many examples of the Qatari regime moving the goalposts on FIFA. So when they announced two days before the World Cup that, oh, we're not going to sell beer in stadiums here, um, it wasn't really about the beer. It was about the Qatari regime showing control and showing FIFA, you're not really in control of this because we know that FIFA, you want there to be, you know, alcohol beer sold in stadiums because you get a lot of money from your beer sponsor. Yeah, I mean, again, FIFA is incredible. They're the, they're the one organization that can make the IOC look look warm and fuzzy. <laughs> it's a it's a miracle. All right, last one, Grant. Um, as we head forward into some more of these, uh, you know, knockout matches, it. Um, you know, one of the things that's obviously become clear is it really feels like Kylian Mbappe's tournament in many ways that he's sort of like the, um, you know, for all these World Cups, you sort of have a, you know, if you look historically, like, you know, there's a memory of a player who really um, sort of is identified with that World Cup, including players, by the way, who are already like, you know, global stars, Maradona, et cetera, you know, sort of connect all of these different uh, World Cups, Pele in 1970, et cetera. Um, if I had to look based on what I've seen so far, just based on form, I would take France. Uh, I like Spain's form too. Um, but again, it you know, it only takes one game, one goal to sort of change destinies. As you look forward for the rest of this tournament, I'll just take some broad picture kind of stuff like what you're thinking about. Well, what we're seeing now that the knockout rounds have started is there were quite a few upstart teams that got to the knockout rounds. And most of those upstart teams, actually all of them at this point are being eliminated and we're left with heavyweight showdowns starting in the quarterfinals, Argentina, Netherlands, France, England. I consider Croatia having reached the World Cup final four years ago, they're a small country that punches above its weight, but they're kind of a heavyweight at this point, uh, more so than Japan. And so we're about to have... Brazil and South Korea kick off. I expect Brazil will win this game and we'll see a Brazil, I think Brazil, Croatia in the quarterfinals. So what we're seeing are massive quarterfinal matchups that are going to be awesome. And you love upsets, but you also love just, you know, big teams facing each other in in the most important games. Um, And so You mentioned Mbappe. He's on five goals after four games, leading the tournament in goals. He's just 23. He's already won a World Cup at 19, in which he played quite well in. Um, He's doing quite well in his second World Cup. And at this point, you start to compare him to Pelé, who won three World Cups in his career, won his first one at age 17. And is generally viewed as the greatest player of all time. And so that's pretty exciting to have something like that even be talked about as a real possibility with a player. And Mbappe's goals against Poland were crazy. Absolutely crazy what he did. And so I'm excited by that. There's so many big stars in this World Cup who are in their 30s, but there's not that many in their early 20s. And he's obviously one of them, the biggest one. And, you know, I also give credit to France and their coaching staff and players for not falling into the defending champion trap. Because before this tournament, four of the five previous champions of the World Cup had gone out in the group stage 
yeah. the subsequent tournament. And France, after giving up that one goal early to Australia, has just run roughshod. I, I know they lost a game when it didn't matter. They still won the group. Tunisian, you know, right. Yep. In the third game. But, you know, when they've had their guys playing, um, they look really good. You know, in a way that Argentina hasn't. You know, Argentina lost in that huge upset to Saudi Arabia, came back and won the group. But even now, Argentina, they're playing a little better now. But some of their their wins, it was just Lionel Messi being individual Leo Messi and doing amazing things. And it's great to see that, too. I don't have it in front of me, but where would Argentina and France meet if they met? Um... I think they're on, you know, they're on opposite sides of the bracket, so, so it would be, be the so final. They could meet in the final. Wow. That would yeah. be Messi versus, Messi versus Mbappe would be unbelievable. Just in terms of a um, a global, I mean, I hate to sort of just put it in these terms, but like a global marketing play, that, that would be incredible. I mean, think of all the narrative kind of stories that you have with the arguably the greatest player of all time, or at least in that conversation, in his last World Cup, almost for sure, versus the, essentially the emerging king of the sport. No, and even on the way to get to that potential final, you're looking at the potential of a Brazil-Argentina semifinal. Yeah, I think France, just be, France, France, England's an incredible, Fr incredible France, basketball. England is a very good quarterfinal. Either team, I think, could win the World Cup. I agree. Um, we're looking at the potential of a Portugal-Spain quarterfinal um and so that's good stuff uh in yeah. terms of just great matchups with lots of history and you know cristiano ronaldo and messi have sort of individually defined this sport for the last 10 to 12 years and they're both in their last world cup and both of them could make a deep run all right, Grant, in another life, you know, you'd be covering college basketball doing like Kansas, Kentucky for Sports <laughs> Illustrated right now, doing some profile on some junior. So instead, you're, no, you're at the World Cup, <laughs> which is nice. Um, fi find all of Grant's work on grantwall.com. Uh, you could read his stuff there uh, on his um, uh, Substack. Uh, he podcasts uh, as well on a almost a near-daily basis. The uh, the one thing that Grant's been doing, which I really admire, is he's, he's not – his uh, – his Substack is not just like here's my quick thoughts on the World Cup. Like he's doing, he's been doing magazine style reporting for a long time, and then of course you get like the um, thoughts after games. But this is just not, you know, somebody just sort of waxing on thoughts after the games. This is somebody's covered the sport for a long time, so even those kind of thoughts to me are uh, um, they're just at a different level, which I uh, which I appreciate as a uh, you know a, a soccer fan who then really gets into the big tournaments like the World Cup or the Euros. All right, Grant, uh, you know. Stay healthy, stay safe while you're uh, in Qatar for the next couple of weeks, and uh, and mostly enjoy what will be, like you said, I think in, we're looking at an incredible stretch coming up. These are all major powerhouse teams, and uh, um, some of these games are going to be incredible. Grant, you'll be proud of me. I'll leave you with this, all right? You know, whenever like like one of these events is going on, like I think like a lot of fans, you just get really excited and you want to like go back and YouTube and like watch stuff. Like I do this with horse racing. Whenever the mm -hmm. Kentucky Derby or the Preakness is on, I'll go back and uh, mm -hmm. and just watch old races. Mark Mark Beach, Gene Menez, our old colleague, used to do this too. So yesterday, literally last night, no no bullshit here. I went back and I watched like uh, 13 minutes of the 1974 World Cup final between wow. Holland and Germany. And this person who did it, either he 
he did it himself or she did it himself or they pulled it from somewhere, but they enhanced the quality of the film. So it was like hmm. watching it in like color and really sharp. And I had, you know, while I had seen the highlights of some of those goals, I had never really seen like some run of play and stuff like that. It's, it was phenomenal. Like the quality of play in that World Cup really like, I know it's 1974, but it wasn't so far off from like 2022. And like guys like Naskins and Cruyff and Beckenbauer, they could play at any any time. Like their brilliance showed. And so I don't know if you've ever seen that in full, that game, but it was it was awesome to watch. Well, I, I didn't the Dutch score really early in that game? They did. They scored on a penalty super early. Then the Germans got a penalty in the first half, and then Mueller scored the what ultimately turned out to be the game winner two to one on a nice goal. But the Dutch late pressed, and Naskins really was close to tying that game up multiple times. It was um, you could understand why people call that Holland team the greatest team never to win. It, it doesn't. If you watch the game, it actually makes sense. Well, they had a great run there. Uh, you know, the Dutch made the final in '74 and '78. Yeah. Best soccer country in the world, never to win the World Cup. They've yeah. gotten to without three Cruyff finals. in '78, by the way. It's amazing. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Um, losing to an Argentina team without Maradona. They left him off really point. right yeah. before the, the start of that 78 yeah. tournament. But the, when I watch games from the 70s like that, what hits me is the attacking players are, are very good and they could play today. But the defense is not as robust. Yeah. They're, they're not they're athletic not, it, as compared to what you see today. Yeah, and so it does look a little different. The pressure is just not quite as high. And Agreed. Uh, you know, you didn't have as many tackles just come flying in on you. Yeah, um, and I think the goal, t- I have to be honest, no disrespect to the Gordon Bankses of the world. You watch Courtois, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, yeah. and some of these other goalies of, uh, of today, it's not close. These guys, they're much bigger, and they're so much more athletic. It's so right. much harder to score against the guys today than it is in the in the 70s. I'm not, obviously, they were great for their time, but they could be beaten. Like, that's, it's just a different game. You know, the ball was different then, even. So, I mean, there's a yeah. lot of differences, but it is it is an interesting conversation. But I'm glad you're watching this stuff on YouTube. Yeah, I'm into it. I gotta, we'll, we'll, I'll have to figure out what I'm going to watch next. But uh, but like many people, I'm fascinated by that Dutch team. And uh, and so it was really exciting to uh, it was exciting to see that in um, more depth than just, again, you know, just your, like, World Cup highlight video where you just see the goals. And right. Um Thank you for indulging me there, Brad. I appreciate that. That was fun. Uh, yeah. All right. Stay uh, stay safe. We'll be reading you for sure. And uh, everybody check out grantwall.com. Thank you, Grant. Thank you. All right. Back in the studio. My thanks to uh, Renee Paquette and Grant Wall for their time and uh, insight conversations. Uh, I love talking to Renee. It's, uh, she's great. And, it was, uh, and is as genuine in person as uh, she appears on the uh, on this podcast uh head to the archives if you like these kind of conversations prior to this one we had uh, tom rinaldi from doha speaking of another person from qatar um on just his amazing 10-day stretch where he covered uh, uh the world cup covered ohio state michigan and covered uh, uh a rams uh, chiefs game uh, all within a uh, a 10-day period pretty crazy had a roundtable with chad finn and austin carp on uh, the latest on uh Sports media stuff, multiple topics. Conversation with NFL Live producers Lydell King and Mark Eisman and Candace Parker 
the uh, soon-to-be Hall of Famer basketball player, who's now gotten into uh, sports broadcasting and is a really good analyst. Uh, that was that was a terrific conversation as well. If you like these uh, conversations, please leave us a five-star review and a nice note. That is how the podcast continues. I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for all his hard work. Thanks to everybody at Cadence 13 for their support. And most of all, thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.